Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today's show is pretty much all about E3 that's happening this week. But first, let's talk about a few updates from last week's show, starting with Far Cry 6. Now, last week I spoke about the absolutely ridiculous statement made by Far Cry 6's narrative director, Navid Kovari, when he claimed that the game was not political. In response to the story gaining traction, he actually wrote a blog post that started with the following statement, quote, Our story is political. A story about a modern revolution must be. There are hard, relevant discussions in Far Cry 6 about the conditions that led to the rise of fascism in a nation, the cost of imperialism, forced labor, the need for free and fair elections, LGBTQ plus rights, and more within the context of Yara, a fictional island in the Caribbean. So very happy that he basically not only went back to retract his statement, which we all knew collectively was absolutely ridiculous and made no sense at all for the type of game that they were created. I appreciate not only just retracting that statement, but also following through with this blog post. And there's a lot more past what I read. Obviously, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go ahead and check it out yourself. It's on Ubisoft's official website, the blog part of their website, or maybe just search Far Cry 6 blog or something like that. It'll probably show up if you want to read the rest of that statement. But for him to go through and really cut through a lot of the themes that they're hoping to explore in Far Cry 6, mad respect from me, definitely. Especially when it comes to things like this that are so inherently obvious. Like, you, you really cannot hide the fact that this game will definitely be political in some way, shape, or form, even if you're not trying to make a political statement specifically on the real world Cuba that exists on our planet, you're still creating an island that is based and inspired by what happened and is still happening in Cuba as an example. So very happy to see that they made that retraction. Shout out to that narrative director, Navid Kavari. Now, it was another good news, bad news week for Sony. I feel like it's been a few weeks now that I'm, I'm talking about Sony and I'm talking about PlayStation. And I have to bring up there's been another good news and bad news week for them. Good news is we received more Horizon Forbidden West details via various previews throughout the net. With the biggest update being confirmation that the PS5 version will have is 60 frames per second performance mode. I know this is something a lot of fans were complaining about when they saw the gameplay. The gameplay was definitely at 30 frames per second. My response to it was very, very simple, which is we don't know if this game will not have a 60 FPS mode. Seeing historically, thinking about, for example, Spider-Man was one game that had two modes. I don't see Sony not having their developers add a performance mode to it and lo and behold here it is i'm honestly not sure why sony didn't announce this during the state of play it's pretty important information that they should have anticipated that a lot of fans were going to see the game see that it's running on your brand new shiny spanking hardware that you've been talking so much about how powerful it is and complain that the game was not running in 60 frames per second, especially when you compare that 
to the Xbox Series X, which is consistently and constantly talking about 120 frames per second. And the fact that over 90 titles on the Xbox Series X through backwards compatibility, FPS boost, are at 120 frames per second. I feel like if you're PlayStation, you need to keep up with that sort of narrative and talk. And you have to be very forward with the fact that, yeah, we are going to lock it in at 60 frames per second if you want to play in that mode. And it's weird because if you remember back to the state of play for Horizon, after they showed the gameplay, there was a, a portion when you had representatives of Gorilla's team kind of talking a bit more about the gameplay that we saw. That seems like the perfect opportunity to bring up the fact that A, the game will have a performance mode and a fidelity mode based upon what you would rather have very similar to what we saw from spider-man miles morales i definitely played it in performance mode i prefer the 60 frames and i'm looking forward to doing the same with ratchet and clank this week and then definitely probably going to do the same with horizon forbidden west whenever this game actually comes out but that's pretty important information to put out there same thing with they they kind of fleshed out some things such as how the skill trees will work. Uh, other things were, you know, climbing and navigation were something that they clarified in previews. I look at these things as what's the point of this state of play? Because for me, the state of play and the point of it, same thing with Nintendo and then Directs, is that these are supposed to be moments where you as a publisher are speaking directly to the consumer. And these are supposed to be opportunities where, you answer as many potential questions that we may have and really talk about a lot of the details in your game, a lot of the new features in your game and what separates this one from the original Horizon. And for there to be previews following the state of play less than a week after the state of play aired and within those previews, there's a lot of information that was not disseminated by Sony during that state of play that is something that should be evaluated by PlayStation and they should eternally be saying, why are we allowing our information to be filtered through a third party when we created this perfect solution called State of Play where we are speaking directly to the consumers? It just kind of doesn't make any sense. Now, the bad news is that the game may not launch this year as confirmed by PlayStation blog interview with PlayStation Studios head Herman Holtz who said, quote, we think we are on track to release Horizon Forbidden West this holiday season, but that isn't quite certain yet. And we're working as hard as we can to confirm that to you as soon as we can. Now, I don't see this being much of an issue if the game is delayed, but Sony absolutely needs something for PlayStation 5's first full holiday season. If we remember to, I think I had brought this up last week during the show, where I mentioned that it seemed like there was a moment in that state of play where they probably were planning to attach holiday 2021 to the end of that trailer, but they didn't. And you'll notice that the team that spoke about the gameplay that we saw during that state of play, they did not mention at all about the fact that, hey, we don't have a release date for you today. So I predicted that this was possibly because Sony was still kind of teetering back and forth on whether this game will come out this year or not. And then Gorilla, after the state of play, 
did say that, hey, sorry, we don't have a release date just yet. So it looks like they're still playing around with the notion of will this game actually be ready? And in my opinion, if you are in the shoes of a publisher and you're having this back and forth a few months away from a potential release, then in my opinion, that's a good indicator that this game should not come out this year. I I think I can safely speak for every gamer out there (laughs) when I say it's always better to release a game when you're 100% certain that you can release it in a really, really good state and not have to rely so much on a day one patch to ensure that the game is in a playable state when it actually launches. So I think they should delay it. Personally, I think that they will delay it. The issue with delaying this game right now is that, once again, it creates this gigantic hole in PlayStation's holiday season. And this is essentially PlayStation 5's first holiday season. We can't really say that for launch last year. And if you we remember correctly to when this game came, excuse me, this system came out in November 2020, it had one of the strongest launch lineups in gaming history, in my personal opinion. It had a really, really strong lineup when it finally came out. So for anyone who either purchased a PlayStation 5 at launch or was able to get one throughout this year, I know that a lot of them are looking at this holiday season in terms of, okay, what's the big PlayStation game for me this year? We obviously had Ratchet & Clank that's coming out this week, which is great. I think it, it makes for a really, really strong summer title for PlayStation 5. But when we look at a lot of the other exclusives that are coming out this year, you know, if we think about something like Kenna Bridge of Spirits, which I'm personally excited for, that is a cross-generation game. And I think a lot of PlayStation 5 owners are looking for, okay, Ratchet & Clank is great. It's a PlayStation 5 exclusive. But what is your PlayStation 5 exclusive game for this holiday season? As opposed to Xbox, Xbox has been very transparent in terms of games releasing on Xbox Series X and Xbox One for some time. PlayStation has been very indifferent about that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I think a lot of fans are expecting a PlayStation 5 exclusive title for this holiday season. So if they don't have Horizon, I mean, I personally can't imagine in the coming weeks Sony, or excuse me, PlayStation announcing a game that is a PlayStation 5 exclusive and B that will be ready for this holiday season. So if they're not able to get something out by the end of this year, then they're mostly riding on the back of Deathloop. Deathloop will be a big console exclusive for them this year. But then along with Deathloop, pretty much everything else will be cross-generation unless there is some third-party game that they were able to secure that will be a PS5 exclusive. Very similar to Returnal, but I don't think anyone will ever look at Returnal as like this AAA flagship. Hey, you need to buy a PlayStation 5 because Returnal exists on it. I don't I don't think anyone, I don't think that sentence has ever been uttered by anyone on the face of this planet. Now, Herman Holtz claimed one of the biggest challenges the Horizon team is facing is because of COVID-19 is in-person 
performance capture, which is used heavily in Horizon Forbidden West, along with another flagship PlayStation 5 game, the God of War sequel. Now, before we discuss God of War's bad news, one other thing that was revealed in this interview is that Sony Bend is officially working on a brand new open world IP. For those that forgot, this is the team behind Days Gone. We've known for some time that they are not working on Days Gone 2, but they are working on something completely brand new. But I'm sure that if Days Gone on PC does really, really well, I think it was last week that I brought up Horizon Forbidden West, excuse me, Horizon Zero Dawn, sorry, on PC overwhelmingly exceeded PlayStation's expectations. Days Gone just released very recently on PC, so I'm sure if, if they're able to replicate even a modicum of the sales that we, the sales conversion that we saw for Horizon for PC, which was 250%, they already recouped their development costs. If Days Gone can get even close to that type of number, then it is possible that Sony Ben's game after this brand new IP could be Days Gone 2, because I think a lot of it is going to rely on how that PC game performs now on to oh excuse me uh and also team asobi who is known for astrobot is also hard at work on a new project i really hope it's another astrobot like a full-fledged platforming game i think sometimes i look at our industry and i think one of the biggest genres that is i'm not gonna say is dead or is dying is our traditional 3d platforming games and i think there's absolute there's definitely room for these types of games and if i i think back to playing astrobot when the playstation 5 launched i mean the game was just amazing i i love playing platformers because those are the types of games that are very laid back they're you know very colorful i i as much as i like shooters and action adventure games i i, I look at platformers as like this palette cleanse away from chopping up people or monsters or shooting people so i really hope that they are working on another astrobot kind of a full-fledged astrobot experience because what they did for playstation 5 was fun i could not stop playing i definitely unlocked every single trophy for that game now on to the bad news and the bad news is that the god of war sequel has now been delayed to 2022 now part of me finds it hard to believe anyone would truly think this game would have launched in 2021 when i spoke about god of war i believe it was last year after playstation had done their showcase i said there's just really almost a zero chance that god of war launches in 2021 for a few reasons number one was the fact that all we saw was a logo number two was the fact that the game didn't even have an official title yet and number three it would also mean that uh, if we think back to what playstation's holiday 2021 lineup looked like we already knew that horizon was supposed to be coming out this holiday and releasing horizon forbidden west and god of war two i guess i'll call it even if it's a month apart in the same holiday season for your brand new system just economically just didn't financially doesn't make any sense at all so those were all the reasons why i definitely felt like this game was not coming out in 2021 so for me i mean i, I don't really see how anyone could be disappointed like <laughs> i love god of war for playstation 4 for those that don't know it was my favorite game 
of the last generation. So, but this delay just really doesn't affect me at all. I always, in my mind, felt that it was coming out 2022 in the earliest. The not so bad news is that God of War and Gran Turismo 7 are now coming to PlayStation 4. Now, Gran Turismo 7 to me makes sense. It's a game that doesn't need a lot under the hood in order to deliver the game that they want to deliver. And what I mean by that is when we think about a developer's sort of need for PlayStation 5 hardware is to make maps bigger, make maps a lot more detailed. But when we're thinking about a game like Gran Turismo 7, where it's not like you can drive the car anywhere, right? You're just loading an individual track at a time. And even though the PlayStation 5 version might have more detailed tracks, better lighting, this is a game that can run really well on PlayStation 4. It's one that I think should have been PlayStation 4 from the very beginning, but it looks like this was a decision that was made by Sony late in the game to create a PlayStation um, 4 version for this game. And I think the decision makes a lot of sense. I don't feel the same way for God of War. God of War released on both systems is a major disappointment to me personally. And I'll tell you why. First off, I don't think this decision has anything to do with hardware sales or hardware availability. I know that a lot of, I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter where they felt, okay, this makes sense to make a PlayStation 4 version. PS5 is still hard to get and it will increase sales at launch. But I, I don't actually think that that was behind the decision to make this a PlayStation 4 game. The PlayStation 5 is currently outpacing the PlayStation 4 in terms of its first six to seven months of release. So that means that it has a bigger installed user base than PlayStation 4 had at this point, I guess, when we compare it to the first seven, you know, six, seven, eight months on the market. When we think about previous generations, especially for a company like Sony, most companies have sort of make the decision. We have this brand new hardware. We're moving all of our development power over onto the new hardware. And especially when we're thinking about Sony, most fans already, I guess for lack of a better term, trained to understand that when it comes to the future of a lot of the franchises that you loved for PlayStation 4, you're already trained to 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 understand that those games will now be releasing on PlayStation 5. That's really the way that Sony has played this. If we think historically, PlayStation 1, 2, 3, and 4, it's always been like this. PlayStation has never really done cross-generation. Same thing actually with Xbox before, Xbox Series X. The only one that sort of played around with this idea was Nintendo. When we think about the last Zelda titles, when we think about Twilight Princess that released simultaneously on GameCube at the end of its cycle and launch on Nintendo Wii at the beginning of its cycle. And then you look at also Legends of the Breath of the Wild released at the end of Nintendo Wii U's development and released at the launch of Nintendo Switch. The difference though with Nintendo is that they did that because the development of the game took so long. It was done, A, because they had already promised the game come to come out on GameCube, and they already promised Breath of the Wild coming out on Nintendo Wii U, so they felt that they had to fulfill that promise, which I 
do 100% agree with them on. And it was also to recoup some of the development costs a lot quicker because you're releasing the game on a pretty big install base. The difference with Nintendo's strategy, though, when it came to these cross-generational titles is that they were a very limited print. When, when it came to Twilight Princess on the GameCube and more recently Breath of the Wild and Nintendo Wii U, they were only printed for, I think, the first six months or something like that at launch. It, it, you can't get Breath of the Wild and Nintendo Wii U right now. PlayStation's not going to do that with this game, right? Xbox is not doing that with halo infinite they're not going to limit the prints of xbox 360 nor will they take it off the psn store for example after quite some time this game will remain cross-generational so this is sort of new territory for sony as of this month playstation 5 is at a break even and or profitable profitable point in its hardware development now while it's true you're launching into a smaller installed base god of war is an evergreen intellectual property it's one that grows along with the base and it could have become the console's first must-have game playstation still doesn't have that xbox also still doesn't have that neither console has that one game that you go to your friend and say this is why you need a playstation 5 you have to play game this this particular game the only games that are playstation 5 exclusive that have been really making waves throughout the industry were demon souls that's definitely not an evergreen console title returnal is definitely not an evergreen uh experience and neither would i put ratchet and clank rift apart into that category either ratchet and clank is an intellectual property that sony has owned for a while but it's also one that based upon the type of game that it is the fact that it's a platform shooter it's not one that they really focused on a lot in playstation 4 and honestly i don't have the research in front of me but if i'm not mistaken i think the only ratchet and clank ps4 game was the remake of the original ratchet and clank i'm not 100 percent sure so it's an ip that sony has not put a lot of time and money into in terms of building like this really big fan base god of war is very different god of war just released a few years ago it was one of it was not only just a critical success it was an absolute commercial success so you're bouncing off of that fan base that you've built where if you made the God of War sequel a PlayStation 5 exclusive, knowing not knowing now what we know, which is that A, Horizon Forbidden West is a cross-generational title. We know that Gran Turismo 7 is a cross-generational title. And even if it was a PlayStation 5 only game, that sentence will never be uttered by the typical fan and the typical consumer. They're not going to go to their friends and say, man, you need to buy a PlayStation 5 for Gran Turismo 7 unless you're a big big racing game fan that's not a game that has a broad sales appeal so it makes sense that it's coming out on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 the same cannot be said for God of War this could have been that first must own PlayStation 5 every console that is created usually has an attach rate with a video game and it usually has a very familiar game attached to it 
throughout the history of their game. Nintendo is typically known for this. They have their evergreen titles that have a consistent attach rate with whatever system they are. For Nintendo Switch, it was Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It was Mario Kart. It was and still remains to be Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And now Animal Crossing New Horizons is another evergreen attachment title to that system. And what that means is that when a Nintendo Switch is purchased in August 2021 of this year, chances are very high that the system will be bought alongside a game like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Legends of the Breath of the Wild, or Animal Crossing New Horizons. What that means is that that software drives purchases of the hardware. God of War is supposed to be that first initial driver for Sony. In terms of driving sales to your brand spanking new console, you should not be relying on third parties to drive that traffic to your console. You, Sony should not be relying on Returnal, for example, being that PS5 exclusive game that drives purchases for the PlayStation 5. They shouldn't be relying on Square Enix and the next Final Fantasy or Forspoken, for example, to drive people to buy the PlayStation 5. That's your job as a publisher. That's your job as the creator of this platform to use your intellectual property to drive people to your new system. Like you have to give consumers a long-winded reason and commitment to your new platform. That's what you have to do. And that's sort of an issue that both Xbox and PlayStation are kind of battling with right now, where sales of both of those consoles, I guarantee you if there was a, a survey done and a survey was, why did you decide to buy this console? Outside of the initial first couple of months, because a lot of those are just really early adopters, I guarantee you a lot of people, the decision that they're making with buying the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X is that if they have that $550 in their pocket and they're able to afford these systems, they're buying it to play older games. They're buying it to play PlayStation 4 and Xbox One games because they know that, hey, at some point, there'll be some exclusive titles. I might as well buy it now and not spend $200, $300 on an older system that will not be forward compatible. The difference between Xbox and PlayStation, though, is that Xbox has their sights set on a future of subscriptions and software. PlayStation is not there yet. They're still very much hardware focused. They're still very much first party, so uh, excuse me, first party focused. And that's why this feels like a Sony decision as opposed to it being a PlayStation decision. It's a decision that's purely based on sales and not a design decision. Because I guarantee you, if you ask Corey Barlog and his team, hey, would you like this game to be cross-generational or would you like to have full advantage of the PlayStation 5 hardware? I'm picking the PlayStation 5 hardware because it gives me a lot more wiggle room to deliver whatever story I'm trying to tell. I now have so many more tools at my disposal to be able to tell that same story. So while Ratchet & Clank is an amazing game, it pales in comparison to God of War and the God of War sequel, once again, could have been the first. If you're buying a PlayStation 5, you have to get God of War 2. Now, there are a couple of things that made this announcement even worse in the eyes of Sony fans. Number one, 
It came only 12 months after Jim Ryan said the following during an interview with GamesIndustry.biz. Quote, we have always said that we believe in generations. We believe that when you go to all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, that it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include. And that, in our view, people should make games that can make the most of those features. It is time to give the PlayStation community something new, something different that can really only be enjoyed on PlayStations. Excuse me, that can only be enjoyed on PlayStation 5. And a quote like this and the fact that obviously they went through a complete 180 <laughs> when it comes to this statement, that's why I look at it like this is a Sony decision and not a PlayStation decision this is the decision from sony as a head of the company of saying no we're trying to maximize profit here we're we're here to appease our shareholders we're here to make money that's what this is why we exist <laughs> so that's why these games will not be playstation 5 exclusive go tell your teams that they have to exist on both of them we're not going to abandon over 110 million consumers that bought playstation 4. now while playstation 5s are flying off the shelf it's the messaging that has been a disaster especially the lack of transparency from playstation that's definitely been an issue for sony when it comes to playstation 5 their messaging has just been horrible now the second thing that made this announcement worse was the likelihood that a playstation 4 version of god of war 2 always existed and the likelihood is very very high vgc claims an insider told them a ps4 version was always part of the plan and I have to agree with this because I don't think this decision is driven once again by a need for profits, but rather a desire for an instant success and to quickly recoup development costs. Because there's no way internally at PlayStation and Sony Santa Monica, you don't feel confident that you'll be able to recoup those development costs fairly quickly on a PlayStation 5 only version and that the title will become an evergreen title that continues to sell throughout the lifetime that PlayStation 5 is being on uh, is being sold or is on store shelves. Now this brings up another issue, which is if this was true and it's looking like it was, it was essentially a lie by PlayStation a, a lie by omission. You know, Gran Turismo 7 was explicitly announced as a PlayStation 5 exclusive, so we can surmise that it was a late decision to bring it over to PlayStation 4 also. Now, while God of War 2 was never confirmed as an exclusive, it was announced during the PlayStation 5 showcase event that took place September 2020, obviously implying that it is only for PlayStation 5. Now, a month later, that was November 2020, Jim Ryan was asked if the new God of War was a PS5 exclusive, and he replied that he had nothing to say at the time and i remember this article because it was the first moment that i realized that a playstation 4 version was possible for quite some time i've been saying when it comes to the god of war sequel if i'm at playstation i'm making this a playstation 5 exclusive it just makes the utmost sense to me for them to do this i understand sackboy being cross-platform destruction all-star should have been cross-platform hindsight I'm sure Sony now realizes that was a mistake. I think a week ago, they announced that they have to add bots to the game because not enough people are playing on PlayStation 5. Even Horizon, I think, makes sense for it to be cross-platform. 
But when you think of God of War, you think of Kratos. When you think of Kratos, you think of PlayStation. We're talking about an intellectual property that has been around for over a decade that has been exclusively created by a single studio, Sony Santa Monica, and it has only existed on a single platform. This is PlayStation's most recognizable, mature mascot. For Xbox, it is Master Chief. For PlayStation, it is Kratos. It's not Alloy. Okay, it definitely is. It's not Ratchet. <laughs> okay, it is not a Gran Turismo car. It is Kratos. This is the most valuable intellectual property, arguably the most valuable. You know what? Fuck that. Not arguably. It is the most valuable intellectual property that PlayStation has. This should have been the the, the person leading the parade into the next generation of PlayStation 5. W without a doubt, he should have been. There's, there's just no argument. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how else to, to put that. Now, a couple of things I want to add before I move forward. Number one, a PlayStation 4 version does hold the game back. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It will not prevent the game from looking and playing amazing, but it absolutely does limit design decisions. If someone comes into a meeting and they talk about, for example, we think about God of War, we think about all the different realms that Kratos was able to visit. If, if early on the design decision, they said, hey, we're gonna, we want to do 10 realms, then at some point, a director has to step forward and say, we can't do 10 realms on PlayStation 4. That's not possible. We're going to have to cut this back to seven or the fidelity or the size of each realm, for example. You're definitely limiting design decisions. Rift Apart, as we know, that comes out this week was created under a single design decision that was not possible on PlayStation 4. It's right in the name of the game, Rift Apart. So if you're on the God of War 2 team, and you want to create a mechanic where for whatever reason Kratos can hop from realm to realm whenever he wants. He can summon a, if we remember correctly from God of War for PlayStation 4, you had to go to this specific room and it was like a machine that you use in order to go from realm to realm. So on the PlayStation 5 version of God of War 2, now that you're also developing for PlayStation 4, you can't create a mechanic where you can go into something in your inventory and instantly hop into whatever realm you want to. You, you just can't. That that's a that's the type of design decision that has to be cut now. The problem to me isn't that the game is multi-platform. More players will be able to play at launch. I think that's great. I'm sure Santa Monica will still deliver an amazing game. I I even don't have an issue with Sony changing their strategy from we believe in generations to we don't want to abandon PlayStation 4 players. It's something that Xbox has been talking about since way before the Xbox Series X came out. I always thought it was the right decision. I still think it's the right decision. And now Sony understanding like wait a minute, this is the right decision. And they understood this over a year ago because like I said, God of War has been in development for PlayStation 4 for a while. Same thing with Horizon. The issue is that they should have just been transparent about this change. That's not the problem to me. The problem is lying to consumers. I have no respect for a company that decides to lie to their fans and lie to their consumers. One plus one equals two. It is obvious that PlayStation made an internal call to not mention that God of War was multi-platform because they knew it would affect their launch 
launch sales. We learned that Horizon Forbidden West was cross-gen during PlayStation's September 2020 showcase event. That's where they revealed the PlayStation 5 release date. That's where they revealed the price. And it was the first time that they confirmed the God of War sequel was in development. It was not in the official presentation. And that omission alone, with not only excuse me, with only not confirming platforms for God of War 2, but then refusing to acknowledge it was cross-gen is proof that Sony hid the information on purpose because they felt it would affect launch sales. If fans learned at the at the same moment, remember, during the same event in September, this is one month before the PlayStation 5 was going to launch, this is why Sony made this decision to omit the fact that God of War was multi-platform. Imagine... How fans would have reacted if a month before the launch of PlayStation 5, Sony stood up there and said, two of our biggest games, two of our biggest IPs, Horizon Forbidden West and God of War 2 will be multi-platform. Think about how that would have affected the launch of PlayStation 5. Because remember, at this point, everyone is thinking that God of War is coming out at the end of 2021, at the end of this year. Remember, we're, we're, we're thinking about the mindset of fans in September 2020. In September 2020, you know that Horizon is multi-platform. Damn, that sucks. But you know what? They announced God of War during this, this thing. You know, that has to be PlayStation 5 because they're telling me Horizon is PlayStation 4. Why wouldn't they tell me that God of War is PlayStation 4 also? Because they knew that it would affect launch sales. A lot of fans were going to say, why the hell am I even going to end up getting a PlayStation 4? For Ratchet and Clank, that's it. That's why I'm getting this place. Excuse me, I'm getting this PlayStation Five for Ratchet and Clank. I have no respect for companies that lie to their consumers in order to protect potential profits. Call me crazy, but I will always call out a company if they were to do something like that. Let's move to our official story of the week, which is I'm calling Pre Three 2021. So we are officially at the week of E3, one year after the ESA was forced to cancel the yearly event due to COVID-19. Now, I'm going to talk specifically about, but Summer Game Fest is returning this year. It starts Thursday, June 10th. They will also have reveals. Elden Ring is rumored to be there, but I'm not going to talk about them specifically because they don't have a really specific timetable in terms of publishers. And I'm going to talk about E3 specifically because I'm sure that's where we're going to see the most deep dives, the biggest reveals. For those that don't know, these publishers pay the ESA a yearly fee to be part of the ESA and be part of E3. So I'm pretty sure if you're paying that fee, you're probably holding off your biggest announcements for E3. You're probably not going to give them to Summer Game Fest. Now, I got to say I'm excited for a few reasons for E3 this year. But it's actually not because of reveals. I'm, I'm honestly not expecting too much from E3 this year, even though it feels like things are starting to get back to a version of normal. Our industry is still recovering from COVID. Honestly, I'm just looking forward to celebrating our industry because that's really what E3 is all about. 2020 was the biggest year ever for our industry. And I just look at this week as... Just a great way to celebrate everything that so many of these developers have had to go through throughout the year of 2020, especially when it came to shifting with working from home. We already know the difficulties that our industry experiences when it comes to development of video games. Crunch, for example. Like I said, I don't think we're going to see too many crazy announcements. I don't think we're going to see too much. I think I think a lot of companies are going to lean on long form gameplay of games that are definitely ready to go 
this year. But like I said, I'm, I'm genuinely excited this year. I wasn't excited last year because of the mess that was created with E3 not being there. I'm actually happy to see that it's it's back and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see what these developers and publishers have been working on um, for quite some time. So this is the schedule for the week. On, on Saturday, June 12th, we have the Guerrilla Collector Showcase at 11 a.m. That's followed by the official E3 broadcast. That starts at 1 p.m. We have press conferences from Ubisoft, Gearbox, and Devolver Digital. On Sunday, June 13th, pre-show is at 11.45. Then we have Microsoft's Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. That starts at 1 p.m. Score Enix is at 3.15 p.m. We also have the PC Gaming Show and the Future Game Show that day. There's going to be a special presentation for Warner Brothers games around Back for Blood. Apparently, this is the only game that Warner Brothers is showing off. So we're not expecting to hear anything from NetherRealm in terms of what they're working on. We're not expecting to hear anything from Arkham Knights, the Suicide Squad game. So don't get your hopes up for that. 24 Entertainment is also that same day. They're probably going to be talking about Naraka Blade Point. For those that don't know, it's basically a Sekido Battle Royale. If you haven't seen what that looks like, you can just check YouTube for it. Monday, June 14th, we have to start at 11 a.m. Take two, Mythical Games, Freedom Games, Razor, and Capcom. And then the final day, Tuesday, June 15th, we have a Nintendo Direct at noon, followed by Bandai Namco, Eureka Games, and the official E3 2021 award, <clears throat> excuse me, award show. Now let's start with Ubisoft on Saturday, June 12th. What can we expect from Ubisoft? Now they confirmed that they'll be showing Rainbow Six Quarantine or whatever the new game, the new name of this game is. I honestly think that they should just keep it Quarantine. I think it's a, a really good name. I think it's actually perfect for the type of game that they're trying to sell. I understand that they want to change it because of COVID-19. I understand that feeling if the game was releasing in 2020, but seeing as it's not releasing in 2020, I don't think it would be tone deaf. Like, I think they should just keep it Rainbow Six Quarantine. I do think we'll see a mission from Far Cry 6. Once again, companies relying on long form gameplay. It's likely that we might get a new release date for Prince Persia, the Sands of Time remake, maybe an official date for Roller Champions. I think we're going to see the Division Heartlands. I wouldn't be surprised if they also drop an alpha or a beta the same day. Now, what we won't see from Ubisoft, I don't think we're going to see Skull and Bones. I don't think we're going to see Beyond Good and Evil 2. That's basically almost vaporware at this point. Maybe we'll see a brief CG teaser for the upcoming Avatar and Star Wars games that are coming from Massive Entertainment. That's the team behind The Division. And honestly, I'm just not expecting much in the way of surprises. And I feel this way across the board. If we see Splinter Cell, I'm sure it will probably be that Oculus VR version alongside the Assassin's Creed VR game that they announced. I think it was like a year ago or something like that. Honestly, at this point, Ubisoft has completely murdered and killed any hype that Splinter Cell <laughs> has ever had. And I'm sure every Splinter Cell fan will agree with me. In my opinion, I think enough time has passed between Splinter Cell releases that Splinter Cell honestly can't even be a stealth game at this point i feel like we've shifted away from stealth, purely stealth games as an industry i don't think they really work anymore look i mean look at what ubisoft did with assassin's creed do you think anyone looks at assassin's creed as stealth games anymore yeah they they just they just really don't and i, I think it just represents a paradigm shift in our industry where stealth games are looked at as too slow not not enough action at this point if i'm developing a splinter cell game i'm basically shifting into a really brutal action game 
something similar to The Last of Us in terms of brutality. Last of Us meets John Wick, for example, in order to really get this franchise revitalized. I really love what they did with Conviction when it came to Sam Fisher operating off the grid and in an unofficial capacity. It, it definitely took a lot of cues from the Bourne movie series, for example. I think that's really where they need to continue going. They try to go back into the classic night vision goggle. I, I, I do think it, it'll be an upset at, at this point. Now, if there's one surprise I am hoping for, honestly, it's a third soft park game. I really, really want another soft park game. Will it happen? Like I said, I'm not really holding my breath for many surprises. I'm sure Ubisoft will have their signature super weird game. But I remind everyone about Ubisoft every single year. Disclaimer, remember, whatever Ubisoft shows, do not believe what you see. They're historically known as a company that definitely cranks up the graphics on whatever they're showing to you. We've seen it with Watch Dogs, for example. So just a, a disclaimer, keep that in mind where you're watching Ubisoft's presentation. Now, next is Gearbox. We do know one thing that's being showed off by Gearbox, which is a Borderlands spinoff. I personally could see them using this as an opportunity to officially reveal the cast of the Borderlands film. We've already seen what those silhouettes look like. I'm assuming that their marketing department is holding off on showing what these actors look like until E3. I think it's a, a great way to get their fan base excited for this film. Honestly, this film looks like an absolute disaster to me. I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised by it. But all of the ingredients, I mean, it, it just it just doesn't sound very good. Outside of this and Borderlands 3 updates, I don't understand what else they could have. Now let's move on to Xbox. Without a doubt, Xbox's presentation is the most important out of the entire week of E3. I don't think any company has more pressure on their shoulders than Xbox has this week. Now, they've done a lot right since launching the Xbox Series X. Game Pass has been growing at a rapid pace. xCloud has been growing exponentially. The Bethesda purchase was the acquisition heard around the world. Their commitment to backwards compatibility is paying off in spades. We think about smart delivery and FPS boost. Xbox, when it terms, in terms of commitment to the platform, have gone through so many PR wins in terms of their comparison to PlayStation 5 at this point in their development. PlayStation 5 might be selling the most hardware, but once again, you have to understand that that's not the metric that Xbox is looking for when it comes to this generation. And when it looks when it when it comes to their metrics, when it comes to commitment to their product, commitment to their ecosystem, subscriptions, game pass, they're absolutely absolutely winning, winning, winning when it comes to that. Now there's obviously one big thing missing from the list of everything they've been doing right, and that is games essentially first party games. Compared to PlayStation, Xbox Series X has almost single-handedly been carried by third parties, forward compatible games, and Game Pass. That's just a fact. There still hasn't been, once again, I was just talking about that with PlayStation, which is if you go up to your friend and say, this is why you need to buy an Xbox Series X, there has not been a single game <laughs> to talk about when it comes to that, even compared to PlayStation, there really haven't been any Xbox Series X exclusive titles to get excited for. I'm personally excited for The Ascent, for example, that comes out this month. Now, obviously, I don't know what the game is going to play like, but even if I love that game, it's still not something I would go to someone and say, yeah, this is why you have to spend $500 on this console. I'm more talking about Game Pass 
I'm talking about smart delivery. I'm talking about, hey, if there's any of these games that you missed, they look and play better because of FPS boost. To say that Halo Infinite has to deliver <laughs> this week is, is just the understatement of the century. They, they, 343 has to blow the doors off when it comes to Halo Infinite because of what happened last year. I could definitely see them sort of laughing at themselves. I'm sure someone's going to walk out with a Craig t-shirt or something like that to sort of make fun of themselves. I think that's the best way to get away from criticism. But whatever they show has to be like mind-blowing. I could definitely see multiplayer being a focus of their presentation. I think they do need to attach a date to this game, especially right now when, when we're looking at Horizon sort of wavering. Will it, won't it come out this year? We know God of War is not coming out this year. They definitely have to attach a holiday date to Halo Infinite. It's on top of that, it's been three years since Bethesda teased Starfield. This is another game that has to deliver for so many reasons. It's Bethesda's first new IP in over a new decade. Excuse me, over a decade. It will also be the first big reveal from Xbox's newest studio. So this is another game that has to blow the doors off. We already expect that this game will not be coming out this year. We're expecting to see it in some shape or form. I think we will see long-form gameplay, but we probably won't. I don't even think we're going to get a date. I think they'll probably just say 2022 or even summer or holiday 2022. We'll have to obviously wait and see. I personally don't think we're going to see the Indiana Jones game that Machine Games is working on. I think it's too early for that. Maybe we'll get an official Xbox Series X version of Skyrim releasing same day as uh, E3 this week. I could see that happening. I'm sure we'll get a Psychonauts 2 release date. It's rumored to be happening in August. Once again, I, I, I think Game Pass is going to be a huge, huge focus for xbox and we'll definitely probably see microsoft play that card that they played in the past which is every game shown from this moment forward will be on game pass day one i'm sure they're gonna phil is gonna pull that card out of his deck i do think that it's time for us to see everwild gameplay i'm very excited for this game i think it is time for us to see officially what this game actually plays like i think it it is also time for us to find out what Compulsion Games is up to. They were the developers of We Happy Few. We should be seeing what Hellblade 2 looks like by now. I, the things that I don't expect to see, Stick of Decay 3, Avowed, Fable, or Perfect Dark. Now, what potential surprises could we see? I could see a Gears 6 tease, but not much more than that. I don't think we'll actually see what it looks like. I think, honestly, this is my surprise a prediction for this year at E3 for Xbox. I think... Microsoft is going to keep up the momentum and I think they're going to announce more studio acquisitions at E3 and there are actually two perfect ones for them to go after. Number one is Supergiant Games. Supergiant Games is the team behind Bastion Transistor and Hades, the game that continues to win massive awards. It's always been a small team that they've had. I think they still only have like 20 employees. If there's a company and a platform that exists on the face of this earth that will stand aside while providing resources, it would be Xbox. There's, there's just no scenario I can think of in my mind where Phil Spencer hasn't already arranged that meeting to meet with the leaders behind Supergiant Games for a potential acquisition. This company is poised for another hit. And if Xbox is able to walk into that room and say, this is what we are committed to give you. We can increase your studio by this much. We can get you a new building right here. We can get you whatever you need for whatever your next game is. 
even if you make promises where those two leaders of the studio retain creative control of whatever their next game is. It's something that we've heard from Bethesda. We've heard this from Tim Schafer when it came to their acquisition of Double Fine Games. They've been very vocal in praising Xbox in terms of Xbox has come in, they've acquired our studio, but we retain creative control. They, they, they're not telling us what we're going to be creating next. And I think it's the right way to go with what Phil Spencer has done with Xbox, which is these teams know what they're doing. Let's just support them. Let's not control what they want to do and what they think their next game should be. The second company that actually looks primed for an acquisition that will make sense for Microsoft is Hello Games. Now, this is the team behind The Last Campfire and No Man's Sky. In September 2020, their founder, Sean Murray, confirmed that work is underway on a new game. We don't know what it is, but he did claim that it is on the scale of No Man's Sky. The last campfire was a much smaller scale type of game. The reason why I like these two studios for acquisitions with Microsoft is for a few reasons. Number one, they're, they're smaller studios. From what we historically know about these two studios, especially if we think about super giant games, is that they typically only develop for one platform at a time. If we think about Hades, it started work on PC, then it came to Nintendo Switch. Now it's rumored to be coming to PlayStation 4. I'm sure at some point it will come out to Xbox One. They just don't have the bandwidth to be able to release these games on multiple platforms. And I guarantee you that these smaller um, teams, they actually like that. I think they do like working and focusing on, on certain platforms at a time. By being purchased by Microsoft, there are a couple of things are happening. Number one is that they'll be able to focus on two platforms now, Xbox and PC only. And especially when we're thinking about Hello Games, what that team stands for, what they stand behind, the fact that every single <laughs> update to No Man's Sky has been completely free. They actually just released another update that really increases the game visually. I think that was just about a week ago they released that. So think about you're going to Hello Games and you're talking to them about they're going to get the bandwidth that they need. They're going to get everything that they require to make sure that this next game has a really strong launch, especially compared to what happened with No Man's Sky. Because remember, everything that they're doing with No Man's Sky is equity, right? They're investing all of this money in order to keep current fans happy, attract new people to come onto the platform that is No Man's Sky. But it's basically equity that you're hoping to cash in for whatever their next game is, right? Everything that you're doing at this point is telling the people that are playing No Man's Sky, hey guys, look at this commitment that we're making to this game. Look at all of this content that we're giving you guys for free. We're really hoping that you will support our next game. And I guarantee you the conversion rate of people that have bought, purchased, and played No Man's Sky and will play and purchase whatever the next game is is going to be extremely high. So now if you're Microsoft and you walk into Hello Games, you understand what their commitment is as a developer. And now you're coming to them, talking to them about the Game Pass platform, talking to them about, about xCloud, talking to them about what you've been able to build with Xbox at PC and Xbox as a console. I mean, the promise that you're making is, hey, guess what, guys? Day one, think about how many players you'll be able to reach by publishing your game through us and having a release on Game Pass day one. So I think 
absolutely we will hear about a studio acquisition these are the two studios that i'm leaning towards i i understand a lot of people question why microsoft hasn't bought moon studios were the behind, developers behind the first two Ori's. I'm fairly confident they went to them with an offer. And I, I just think that studio just doesn't want to sell. And they're working with Private Division for a brand new game. So who knows what that company is doing. But it looks like they really want to go their own way. Especially with the fact that whatever their next game is, they didn't go to Microsoft to publish it. So it looks like they're going their own way. This is why I think it will be these two studios. But either way, I know... A studio will be announced as an acquisition. These are just my, my two best guesses. The other important part, once again, of Xbox's E3 will be its continued commitment to Game Pass. I could absolutely see an announcement fleshing out streaming Game Pass games on Xbox. I really think that Microsoft is going to be hella aggressive this E3 when it comes to Game Pass and showcasing value in whatever way, shape, or form that comes about, whether that's partnering with other companies to do some sort of joint discount. Hey, if you sign up for Game Pass, you get Spotify for free now, forever. You sign up, you're gonna get Discord for free forever. I, I could see Xbox using this opportunity to really try their best to continue fleshing out the value that Game Pass is going to bring. I think they're gonna announce a ton of games that are coming to Game Pass outside of their first party. I could definitely see Final Fantasy VII Remake being announced finally coming to Xbox and then simultaneously releasing on Xbox Game Pass. What else, what other guesses I got? Lost Judgment is releasing in September. I think it makes sense for Judgment to hit Xbox Game Pass. I could see that once again, hitting immediately Game Pass during this week. Scarlet Nexus is another one. That game releases June 25th, and Xbox has been their marketing partner from Bandai Namco when it comes to Scarlet Nexus. I I'm just calling this one out right now. I don't feel, feel fairly confident. I, I, I almost pretty much am making this as a guarantee that if you're listening to this, I guarantee you Scarlet Nexus will be on Game Pass day one. It just makes the utmost sense. If you remember back with what they did with Outriders, remember that was published by uh, by Square Enix. There's a different company, but if we remember Outriders, it really wasn't long between the moment that they announced Outriders coming day one to Game Pass and the game actually releasing. So I feel very confident during E3, there will be a Scarlet Nexus trailer and we're going to find out it's coming out to Game Pass day one releases June 25th. The crazy out there predictions that I have for Xbox. Elden Ring will be an Xbox console launch exclusive. That's my out there crazy prediction. I don't I don't know about Kojima. I understand that we all, there was this rumor that Kojima is gonna show up and debut his new game. Honestly, I legitimately do not think Sony is ever going to fund another Kojima game. Once again, it seems like PlayStation is making a lot of financial decisions. We don't know exactly, but I can't imagine that they did not lose out on their investment into Death Stranding. I think it was just too weird for, for, for PlayStation and they almost created like this no look deal with Kojima. And I do think that there's a part of Sony that regrets that. It doesn't mean that Kojima is gonna jump ship and now make his next game Xbox exclusive. I don't know. It would have to be a lot of bad blood for that to, to happen, but I could see Kojima maybe debuting his next game at Xbox. And we'll have to obviously wait and see. Other things that we can expect this week, Square Enix is on Sunday, June 13th. We have confirmation that we will see Babylon's fall, maybe some new Final Fantasy news 
Rumors are that we'll see a Guardians of the Galaxy video game from IDOS Montreal. That's the team behind Deus Ex is really their, their biggest title. I'm a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Probably one of, if not my favorite, film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm a little kind of not excited by this. And the reason why is because it's just so many of these hero co-op shooters, excuse me, co-op games. We have Avengers, Suicide Squad coming out, Arkham Knights. Uh, it's a little hard for me to get excited just on paper. So I'll have to wait and see what it looks like. Maybe we'll see some new Forspoken gameplay from Square Enix. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. Take Two is on Monday, June 14th. They actually should have a lot to talk about. I'm sure we'll see more of WWE 2K22. We'll probably get a date for NBA 2K22 and whatever the name of their golf game is going to be. There's a rumor making arounds that developer Firaxis will announce a Marvel XCOM style game. Another rumored publisher ready to show their work at E3 is Hangar 13. That's the team behind Mafia 3 and Mafia Definitive Edition. They're rumored to be working on a game called Cold Name Volt, which is apparently a sci-fi open world action game the elevator pitch is it's cthulhu meet saints row which sounds pretty cool obviously we'll have to wait and see as i just mentioned not too long ago private division is a publisher they're publishing the next game from Moon Studios, the developers behind Ori 1 and 2. It should be time for us to see whatever that game is. And maybe it's also time to get a teaser for whatever 31st Union is working on. This is one of Take-Two's more recent studios, led by Sledgehammer Games co-founder Michael Confrey. In July 2020, Michael Chu joined the team. He was Overwatch's narrative director. And there's a rumor that whatever this game is, is that it's a multi-platform, multiplayer character action game. Now, one thing I don't think we'll see is whatever Cloud Chamber is working on. We know that the studio specifically is being put together to work on the next Bioshock, but I don't actually think we're, we're ready to see whatever the next Bioshock is. And then last but not least, there's Ghost Story Games. Now, for those that don't know, this is a studio that was formerly known as Irrational Games. They've rebranded into Ghost Story Games in February 2017. This is the team behind Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, and they are led by Ken Levine. It should be time for us to see whatever they've been working on. That name, Ken Levine, it brings all the boys to the yard because this is the guy behind Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. So whatever this man is behind, whatever this company is working on, a, I think it's time for us to see what it is, and B, I'm hella excited for whatever it could be. Now, let's briefly talk about Capcom. Honestly, I don't know what Capcom is going to talk about. Pragmata is their first current-gen title that is going to be PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X exclusive, but that's not coming out until 2023. It would be great for us to find out exactly whatever the heck this game is actually about. Outside of that, honestly, don't know what to expect from Capcom. We know that they're working on Resident Evil 4 Remake, but at the same time, it seems like they had development problems, so we might not be able to see that. I don't think it's time yet for another Street Fighter. I think whatever the next Street Fighter is, is A, it probably will be a PlayStation 5 exclusive. I think they're going to continue with messing with Sony and PC, but I don't think it's quite time for that just yet outside of that i honestly don't know maybe we'll hear about you know teasing the next generation of monster hunter for playstation 5 and xbox series x but outside of that it's an open book for me and now last but not least we have nintendo now in their tweet announcing the june 15th event they said 
Tune in for roughly 40 minutes exclusive, focus exclusively on Nintendo Switch software, and then that's going to be followed by around three hours of gameplay in Nintendo Treehouse Live. Now, I still think the new Nintendo Switch will be shown before this presentation so that the rec can be completely focused on this software. Obviously, I thought it was supposed to be shown last week. It did not get shown, but I do still think that it will be shown or announced before their presentation, or excuse me, before their direct. I don't think Breath of the Wild 2 is releasing this year. I just don't think we're going to get it. For those that don't know, Japan has not handled COVID-19 very well. They're currently experiencing a fourth wave. And just last week, a state of emergency was extended for Tokyo and nine prefectures until June 20th. So you can see how that would still be affecting development out there in Japan. And this is primarily where development for Breath of the Wild 2 is happening. The fact that earlier this year, they said, hey, we might have more to talk about later this year for Breath of the Wild 2. Maybe we see it at this direct, but I don't think they will be able to release it this year. If there's one company that, that definitely will not release a game in a bad state, it's Nintendo. And I think they will be making the right choice. And Nintendo's been quiet for some time. Time for them to, to sort of get into the groove of what the second half of Nintendo Switch looks like. We're already four years in. I am expecting to see Bayonetta 3. If we're talking about new Nintendo Switch, it's they have to show games that are going to be taking advantage of this new hardware, Breath of the Wild 2 being one of them, Bayonetta 3 being another. So I think we're finally going to see what Platinum has been up to. I think seeing Metro Prime 4 is 50-50, but I do think that Splatoon 3 will definitely be there. Only two fighters remain for Smash's second fighter pass, so we'll know definitely who one of those fighters is. There's a rumored new Donkey Kong game being worked on, so maybe we'll see that. Like I said, I don't really know what to expect from Nintendo this year. If I'm a fan, I'm not setting my hopes too high. What, what everyone needs to remember is that COVID-19 has been especially difficult for Nintendo. It hasn't been a secret. They've been very vocal about that. So I, I wouldn't expect too much in terms of gameplay or any like crazy surprises. According to Nintendo, most of this presentation is going to be for games releasing in 2021, which is why, once again, I could kind of see Bayonetta 3 almost being reintroduced and actually having a date attached to this year because you, you, you need something to showcase that new Nintendo Switch. And I think Nintendo's always been really good at that, sort of being first in line to talk about why you need to buy this new hardware, whatever that may be. And then before we wrap this up, the elephant in the room, where's Sony? Sony has not been a part of E3 for some time, but they've normally had at least some presentation this week. Jeff Keighley confirmed that PlayStation will be a part of Summer Game Fest in some way, shape or form. We don't know exactly what that is. I'm genuinely disappointed. I, I will be disappointed if Sony doesn't at least announce a state of play for this week because once again, I, I just feel like their communication has been so weak. And there's a part of me where I feel like E3 this year is essentially it's a party, right? It's the industry coming back together and saying, guys, we know it's not normal yet. We appreciate everyone out there. And we're so eager to tell you guys what we're talking about. It's like, like I say, it's like E3 is like this amazing party. And Sony's been invited, but Sony's like, no, I don't want to go to that party. Like, it's almost like they're too cool for it. And I really wish that PlayStation didn't feel that way. I wish they were part of this 
E3 week. And like I said, we're just a few days away from E3. Will PlayStation all of a sudden announce that they're going to do something next Monday or Tuesday? I mean, I don't know. As of the recording of this podcast, we haven't heard uh, anything from them. Now, before I wrap up this episode, there's something very important that I want to talk about. And that is that E3 will end with an award show. And I, I, I want to take some time to talk about this. And I wrote out really almost verbatim what I wanted to say, because I think this is such an important subject to bring up. Now, the imperative reaction that any person needs to have when a mistake is made is to learn and grow from it. It's not really about the mistake. It's about what do you do with the information that you learn from that mistake. It's, it's the reason why learning history is so important. Cyberpunk 2077 taught this entire game industry, the media and the fans, a very important lesson. And honestly, it was one that I think was overdue. And it was one that we all needed to learn because the media have given publishers a lot of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to pre-release coverage. You know, most video game previews are based in blind trust and faith. They typically do not represent the current state of a game because whatever issues we see are promised to be ironed out by release. Now, journalists understand that early gameplay of a title is built specifically to represent a final version of the game. And media essentially trusts that the publisher will deliver on that promise. And so they judge the promise and not the actual end product since it doesn't exist. And for the most part, publishers have been able to deliver on these commitments. But what happened with CD Projekt Red should have been a lesson to many media outlets, but it seems that the biggest outlets have chosen not to learn from it because CD Projekt Red essentially used the good faith they built with The Witcher 3 to manipulate the media into helping them sell an unfinished and underdeveloped game that was devoid of the many, many promises that they made. Now, next Tuesday, June 15th, a panel of editors from IGN, GameSpot, GamesRadar Plus, and PC Gamer will give out awards for E3 2021. Now, I'd like to remind everyone listening what IGN's many awards for Cyberpunk 2077 were. Best of E3, two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. It also won People's Choice Award for 2019. It was given Best PlayStation 4 Game, E3 2019, which in hindsight is absolutely hilarious. Best Xbox One Game, two years in a row, 2018-2019. Best PC Game, two years in a row. And Best RPG, two years in a row. Now, when we look back at the deep dive gameplay CD Projekt released to the public in 2018 and 2019, they represented, once again, a promise that was never planned to be fulfilled. CD Projekt Red purposely bolstered two missions. They, in the final release, were pretty much the only ones that offered branching paths and choices, and the media rewarded them based on these promises. Now, the biggest problem with pre-release awards is that they don't come attached with asterisks. Internally within this industry, we understand that the game scene at E3 are not only early looks into development, but they are bolstered vertical slices of an experience that the developer and publisher hope to achieve by the time the game is ready for retail. The media is essentially rewarding a publisher based on good faith that their promise will be fulfilled, but the common consumer does not understand this. 
So what did CD Projekt Red do? The same as any publisher before them. They used these awards as part of their marketing. It was right on the front of the retail box for Cyberpunk 2077, over 200 awards. But there isn't an asterisk attached to that marketing clarifying that these were all awarded pre-release based on a promise. And it worked. They sold 13.7 million copies in less than a month. And the games media, the ones that fans are following to help them make informed decisions on how to spend their hard-earned money, helped them achieve this amidst one of the worst launches in video game history. CD Projekt Red manipulated the media in order to sell a promise that they never intended to fulfill. And the only way to ensure history won't be repeated is to reevaluate the relationship that media has with publishers. And the solution to this is actually really simple. We shouldn't be giving away awards for incomplete experiences, period, point blank. Hindsight, it actually doesn't make any sense. Now, what companies could do, such as IGN, they could still do roundtable discussions with their writers and editors after E3, where they answer a simple question. Hey, what got you excited at E3 this year? Then at that point, we're listening in the context of the writers and in terms of what they experience and what they hope the game to be, excuse me, what they hope the game will be when it's actually released in its final state. That's not something that a company can now slap on a box in order to potentially sell an incomplete experience the same way that CD Projekt Red did. And I think companies, especially smaller indie developers, should be recognized for what they've been working on. The creation of a video game is still a modern day miracle. But the fact that CD Projekt Red could teach companies like IGN such a valuable lesson about the importance of ensuring that a line exists between media and publishers and these companies just completely ignore that lesson is insane to me. <laughs> and if there's one thing we were all taught in school, it's that if we don't learn from our history, we will be doomed to repeat it. What that means is that it's only a matter of time before we see another Cyberpunk 2077. This week's hot releases tomorrow, June 8th. This is going to be a jam-packed week for gamers. Tomorrow, June 8th, we have The Elder Scrolls Online Blackwood, PS4, Xbox One, Chivalry, Chivalry 2, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Descenders coming to Xbox Series X, Backbone coming to PC and Mac, The Elder Scrolls Online Tamriel Unlimited, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. On June 9th, we have No More Heroes 1 and 2 coming to PC via Steam, Alba, a wildlife adventure, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. On June 10th, we have Ninja Gaiden Master Collection, PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade comes over to PlayStation 5. June 11th, we have Guilty Gear Strive, PC, PS4, PS5, Game Builder Garage on Nintendo Switch. And then finally, we have Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart for PlayStation Five. Now, time to wrap it up. These are the stories we didn't have time to get to. June 2nd was Valorant's one-year anniversary, and Riot Games used it as an opportunity to announce Valorant Mobile. Not many details are known outside of the fact that the mobile version would be different from the PC version, and there will be no cross-play between the two. I don't really have much to add into the story. I just wanted to make sure I spoke about it on the show because I've spoken so much 
on Camp Koji about the importance the importance of mobile experiences and Valorant Gold Mobile should be huge with Riot Games, especially since they have such a strong advantage in China. For those that don't know, Tencent owns Riot Games, so they absolutely have their foot in the door when it comes to distributing this game throughout China. Just the right move to make. Nintendo announced it is building a Nintendo gallery in Japan to showcase the many products they've launched over its history. It is expected to be complete within the 2023 fiscal year, which ends in March 2024. I think this is awesome that they're doing it. If there is a company out of the big three that should absolutely have its history celebrated in an official form, it absolutely should be Nintendo. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that will actually look like ea announced five need for speed titles would be removed from online stores immediately and their online services were shut down on august 31st the five titles are need for speed carbon undercover shift shift to unleash and need for speed the run now they should have definitely given more notice you know the latest title of the run released in 2011 i always look at these things as if you're angry about this you had over 10 years <laughs> to get these on one hand, I absolutely do support video game preservation, but at the end of the day, if you never bought them 10 years ago, I don't understand what would have made you buy them if you had enough time to buy them before they took them off. Now, I understand not wanting to pay to maintain servers, no matter the cost, but this wouldn't cause the game to be delisted. I think it's probably being delisted because EA does not want to renew licenses. If they were to keep these games running, that means that they have to renew licenses, not only for music, but they will also have to renew licenses for all the cars that are in there. So I understand why they wouldn't want to go through that cost. Now, one thing that I think EA and most of these companies need to start doing in the future to minimize the backlash. Obviously, people always bring up the same thing. Oh, there's the future of digital, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, these companies need to give just a week, give seven days where all of these games are completely free to download. I, I think that's the perfect solution. You give everyone a week's notice to make sure that they, they know that all five of these games will be completely free to download on whatever platform or whatever store they're on. That way you keep people happy so they can't say that, oh, I was not able to get this game. And then number two is that, who, who knows? Maybe you might get people that have never played Need for Speed and now they're playing this Need for Speed, maybe find a way to run ads on these old games for whatever the next need for speed is and see if you can bring them forward it just sort of makes sense just just give these games away last but not least cd project red announced that their first quarter profits were down 65 percent year over year now on one hand this is obviously because of 2020 every company had very high profit because of the year of the pandemic but this also goes back to what I said months ago about Cyberpunk 2077 and why the decision to not delay this game will actually end up hurting CD Projekt Red in the end because of what I said. I honestly, I'm sorry, I don't remember what episode I brought it up. But what I essentially had said is that CD Projekt Red is now going to have to essentially relaunch this game in order to continue sales of it to get outside of that really magical 13.7 million copies sold from that first uh, month. Remember, that was in December. We are now in June 2021. And what you will notice is that CD Projekt Red has typically always been one to bolster about statistics. They talked about how they had the most pre-orders. Look at how many games we sold within the first month. Look at how many pre-orders we had. 
there's definitely a reason why we have not heard any other numbers outside of that first month. And it's obviously because they're extremely low. That's our show for the week. Shout out to EA and Knockout City once again. I shouted them out last week for surpassing 2 million players. A few days later, they announced they reached 5 million players. Once again, developers, publishers, take notes. This is how you launch a multiplayer-only title. I was just talking about Rocket Arena last year. And I think it was two days, not even two days ago, yesterday I was in a mall and I went inside of a store called Five Below where everything on the store is $5 on below. And they had a shelf full of about 40 copies of Rocket Arena. That's where you're going to end up <laughs> if you don't lower the cost of entry and support your multiplayer only game from the very, very beginning. Shout out number two goes out to itch.io for offering the indie bundle for Palestinian aid, which is a bundle of games you can purchase and all proceeds go towards raising funds for the people of Palestine. This bundle runs now through Friday, June 11th thank you so much for joining me please follow us on twitter instagram and youtube at camp koji for future updates once again i am joel and i will see you all next week